this is where our theme music would normally go and there'd be some at the end as well but just the fact that I'm editing this at a somewhat breakneck speed um, and the uh, the music's actually on another machine um, you'll have to forgive us this week um, for our lack of theme music at the beginning and end um, and without any further ado um, here comes our episode for this week so please enjoy welcome back to another stormy water uh, session um we missed last week as you will have noticed if you're an avid fan um and we have been doing a uh a sort of um three episode thing um which we do want to carry on with and we will carry on with in the future but due to certain constraints on us um i think you're going to get one one long one or one one uh, full length um uh, episode this week um due to the fact that um i uh won't really have time to put them all up separately <laughs> edit them separately um part of the uh, whole thing um is that we're going to put them out on mondays uh, probably monday wednesday friday although just monday this week and that's um because we we want to do as little possible sort of work as it were on a on a sunday um which um is actually the subject of our our episodes today so we're going to talk about work today um, and it's funny because we tried to record this on uh, Friday and about this far into our recording, uh, my phone rang and I had to do about another two hours worth of work when I thought I'd finished. Um, so um, uh, just briefly hand over or ask my dad how he is really. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yes, I've... Uh... I've been really adjusting my workload over the last couple of weeks and you begin to feel the benefit of it um, in terms of your own sort of physical, emotional sort of capabilities, really. So, uh, so yeah, and my football team won the other day um, after being 2-1 down. So, you know, good things are happening. Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, so uh, in light of, well, last week, I think, you know, last week's episode didn't happen basically because we had too much actual <laughs> actual work to do. Um, but uh, I think the first question is, you know, sort of biblical context. Why work? Like, can't we just sort of? Well, there's four answers to that question, and none of them are wrong. But three of them sort of miss the point. They're kind of byproducts not the main reason so one of the reasons that people sometimes say they work is to earn the money to support their family and that's not a bad thing you know a responsible wise people uh, will work uh, in order to make sure that they're fed their family are fed roof over the head nothing wrong with that but it's not the whole story and then other people say well you know I work because uh, I need to support my family, but also I want to share my faith with my fellow workers. Um, and, you know, that pulls on the on the Christian heartstrings because you think, that's great. They want to witness about Jesus to them. Um, but actually, that's not the reason that we work. Um, and there's a lot more places where we can sort of share uh, who Jesus is than just the workplace. Um, and if we're sort of running around a work buttonholing people and saying, can I just talk to you about your spiritual state? We'll very soon get a lot of grief off of people 
and uh, a quick chat with the manager. Um, so although there is often conversations at work about people's faith and their life and their lifestyle, it's not, and that's a good thing. That's not the reason that we go to work. Um, another reason that uh, people say that um, they work is uh, that they uh, want to influence their workplace. And, you know, that has, that has a lot of things going for it. Uh, sometimes it's good to not want to dominate our workplace with our religious worldview, but to influence it by our, um, by our behavior. Um, and, uh, and our example, and that's not a good thing. That's not a bad motive uh, for being at work. But I would want to say to us that our primary reason for working is that it's part of our, what some people would call our vocational mandate. Um, the theologian N.T. Wright talks about this quite a lot and that, that we all have a vocational mandate, not just people who are church leaders or well-known worship musicians or uh, Christian writers or whatever, uh, the sort of heroic figures that we sometimes look to, but that all of us uh, have the opportunity uh, to be uh, a, somebody who brings Jesus to uh, their work situation. And what we actually mean by that goes back to Genesis 2, verse 15, where we're encouraged to be stewards of creation. And so the way that the reason that we work is for the benefit of our family, our tribe, our clan, our district, our nation, and the world. And that we're contributing to its cohesiveness and it's hanging together and people being fed and bridges being built and roads being maintained and, and that there is a fabric to our society and our culture and our work contributes to that in, in a multiplicity of ways. And within those contexts, we have a unique opportunity uh, to not just say, why don't you believe what I believe, but actually to model what we believe. I had a friend in Paris who was uh, a manager of a very big pharmaceutical company to do with the law side. And uh, when she went in, she started asking the staff uh, what they thought about the strategy for a particular way forward and could they do a short presentation and all of these things. And the staff were really taken aback. But eventually some of them talked to her and they said, the person that was in the job before was extremely dictatorial and shouted at you if you got anything wrong. It was a climate of fear and you have taken seriously our training, our background, our qualifications. And so she was stewarding that team, <coughs> taking people's dignity seriously, taking people's skills seriously. So quite apart from what she might ever have said uh, about her faith and her deeper beliefs, she was modeling something and seeking to bring uh, a good outcome. Take for instance, if you're an architect, you can design things that really enhance the built environment that people live in, give them places to rest or give them places to enjoy the view or give them places to uh, congregate, meet up with their friends. You can do things to do with the light and the sense of well-being in an area. And so everything that we can do uh, can enhance people's experience of life. 
And so being stewards uh, of creation uh, is not just to do with ecology, it's to do with how we are uh, in the choices that we make about how we uh, spend our time and spend our life. And everything else then falls in behind it. Of course, we may earn some money that we can use to bless the church and look after the family. Of course, we might uh, be an influence in that place just on various individuals. Uh, of course, uh, we might um, be uh, able to, at some point, share with people quite directly about who we are and what we believe. But our primary reason for being there is to be stewards of creation. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a massive task, but it's a, it's a thing of beauty to think that we're not just kind of, oh, I really wish I didn't have to do that, but I've got to earn the money. And we're actually thinking, you know, I was watching uh, Countryfile yesterday, and these people out on the marshes trying to improve the habitat so that a certain kind of moth uh, flourishes because it's an important part of the biodiversity and the echo, you know, whatever. It's not just a job. It's a way of thinking about life and looking at life and how they view uh, where they are. easier to, to uh, think that when you're doing a job like that, I suppose. There might be some yeah. people that think, oh, I might, you know, my job, you know, nobody needs to do this job, you know. Yeah. But, well, it's uh, interesting. I, I go to Sainsbury's quite often and uh, there are some staff that are what I would call the connectors. They they chat to the customers, they have a little bit of a joke with them. They enhance that customer's experience, which rumbles on way beyond, oh, I've got my groceries and that chat was very nice to me. If if that chat's very nice to them and somebody else is gentle with them and so on, it begins to impact their whole view of life. And, and so there is no job that, uh, you know, we have an allotment project and there's one or two people that are deeply adverse to worms, all that kind of stuff. But they're great at welcoming people. And they are as valuable as the ones who are raising the money, digging the ground up and putting the plants in and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we need to value everybody for the contribution that they make, um, however apparently menial it might seem. Um, so one of the... The sort of main elephant in the room at the moment, I suppose, is the, the pandemic and how that's impacted upon people's jobs and sometimes their job going or they're being furloughed or um, they're just not sure what's going to happen. You know, am I going to keep it? Is it going to go next year? Brexit as well, there's all, you know, all sorts of stuff going on. So, I mean, I've written here, um, and I think I think some also correct things gone on, but it says, "How has pandemic impact working future?" Um, but how do we make sense of that? On the face of it, obviously there could be a lot of unemployment for a while. Every time there's an economic stagnation, it seems to eventually recover. And so, rather, some people, just before you go on on there, maybe just sort of your answer might be in light of this but some people will say well if you don't have a job that's a moral failure on your part yeah. or some people might say well it's a moral failure on the government's part yeah 
I think that plays back into personal responsibility and systematic uh, d damage to people. And some church people will always go back to personal responsibility and say, well, you know, you lost your job. And you say, well, it was the pandemic, you know, the, the bottom fell out of the hospitality market or whatever. Well, yeah, no, but, and, and then you say, the Bible recognizes the possibility of systematic failure. And they said, no, it doesn't, no, it doesn't. And they deny it. But actually the Bible does recognize the possibility of systematic failure. It encourages the people to leave the gleanings at the side of the field, recognizing that there, are, there will be poor or indebted people in the society. And our job is not to shrug them off. It's to give them the means to quietly harvest that material and maintain uh, their dignity. There's a provision for the forgiveness of debt after seven years so that people can return uh, to the economy. There's a recognition, uh, particularly in the minor prophets, Amos, Hosea and Micah, that people are behaving towards the poor in ways that are an affront uh, to the character of God and his heart and his desire for people. It says, you're, you've got dishonest weights, you're selling the poor for a pair of sandals. And so we need to recognize that some people find themselves in difficulty and unable to access the workplace, not because they're in some way not trying. Um, there's a book called The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, uh, written by Natalie Williams and uh, somebody else. And I'd really encourage uh, church people listening to, to our podcast here. So yeah, go or even not, not church people if you're listening or watching. And I think that that book is is part of a a trio of books. And and I think no, no, none of them are particularly, well, it depends on these circumstances, but they're not wildly expensive. And I think they're, they're taken best as, as all three of them. But this is a lady in a local church here in England where we live, uh, tackling this issue and seeking to look to the big patterns of the past to say, you know, uh, I mean, the other thing is purely from a sociological point of view, when you analyse unemployment figures, about 50% of it's transitory um, yeah. uh, at the best of times. Then there's another big chunk that uh, it's going to be six months at the most. Uh, and then you boil it right down and a tiny percentage of the population are long-term ill and yeah, they're, they're yeah. not going to get back into the workplace. And so, you know, say the figure's three million, you end up with 300,000 uh, that, uh, of that three million that are unemployed who are actually a bit work shy. But even then, you have to ask, what was the life circumstance that these people came yeah. did, did it yeah. did it involve a lot of trauma do they have uh substance abuse issues why yeah. have they got maybe like concentration problems and that sort yeah of yeah yeah so it doesn't do to be glib about yeah why people aren't in the workplace and somewhere like i don't know london you know the, the for a certain person, say someone my age, if I was in London, there'd probably always be something I could do, you know, like, oh, even yeah. if I did that for a week and then I did this for a week. But yeah. there's areas of the country where 
and in, you know, one of the things in the 80s was, well, if there's no work in your area, just, you know, get on your bike and go to another area. But that's not an option. You know, sometimes yeah. we've got family in, in this area. Well, uh, one of the things that was sort of controversial about five years ago was a whole estate in London being demolished and redeveloped, but being redeveloped quite slowly such that the council had to get the people out, but they needed to send them somewhere else entirely. And a lot of them, they tried to send to Birmingham or, or Hastings and, and other, somewhere else up north that I can't remember. But the, the, the mums, it was a lot of single mums on that estate. And they were saying, well, look, my mum lives in London. And if I'm to work, which the government wants me to do, I need to be in London so that yeah. my mum can look after my kids. <laughs> and if they send me to Hastings, then I can't work. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that when Norman Tebbit said, get on your bike, it was one of the most profoundly unchristian things that a Tory politicians ever said. Because a lot of the fabric of your life, as you've just pointed out, relates to familial connections or school connections or community connections that have grown over decades. I, I talked to a couple of people who'd gone off to university uh, and came back eventually, they didn't settle. And part of what they said was, here in town, I, I knew everybody, a, a large chunk of people my own age. Then you're suddenly amongst strangers with no collective memory, no trust from previous encounters, you just, you're lost in another culture. And so to say to people, you know, leave this area, go up there. Um, you know, sometimes the brute reality, as we know, is that people have to migrate because they're going to die or uh, there is appalling poverty where they are. But it's not the ideal situation for many people. And when it comes to work, um, uh, remaining, if it's at all possible, uh, in an area where you have long-term social connection, uh, because the, the social connection is part of the fabric of what makes us well and settled and whatever varying degrees of happiness we have. It relates to the people that we know, the trust we feel, the security that we have. So often uh, in the 80s, they would subsidise places to remain open because it was cheaper than letting the steelworks or whatever it was close and supporting the social services and unemployment benefit bill. Which is the result. Potentially what the furlough has been the last nine months where a lot of these things would have just gone to the wall. And all right, they might have been able to start up again in a year's time or whatever, but there would have been like eight million people out of Detroit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So part of the answer, it's the things that you've identified uh, to do with retirement, retraining, um, restoration. The four R's, which I hadn't actually mentioned um, yet. But yeah, so, uh, I mean, for, for some people, there has been redundancy. You know, the furlough went so far and no further for some people. Um, so that might involve retraining. Um, for some people, it might be oh, well, I was only a few years from retiring anyway, so yeah. that's the best option for me. Um, yeah. 
but but just this whole sense in all of those things of renewal and what you know the the biblical perspective on that is well i think once again we would be bringing our our value system to bear and so let's you know let's take some of them retirement um uh, for many people, the time comes either uh, because they reach state pension or they have their own uh, savings plan that begins to pay out that they retire. Um, and uh, in the midst of the pandemics, as you've pointed out, some people will accelerate that. But a lot of people do not cope very well with it because the, the whole structure of their life, the rhythm of their life was, you know, get up, go to the workplace, with the lads, you know, do the stuff, holiday in Tenerife, you know, that they had a rhythm in their day, their weeks, their months, their years, and that begins to dissipate and they have a lot of time to themselves. And, and for men particularly, there is a deficit quite often of male company. And so I would encourage people to think uh, about being intentional if they're retiring as to how they're going to use their time. Yeah, I just, yeah. If, I was, if I was to retire today, uh, I would do less. I'm not as physically, um, you know, on fire as I used to be, but I wouldn't do nothing. Um, I would have a day where I volunteered and a day where I read and a day where I. And so yeah, I would want to say. The thing last week where it basically said that particularly men, um, whether they're married or not but particularly if they're not married when they retire they they just sort of retreat from society basically um, yeah. like they they're just like oh well okay i haven't got any friends anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they don't really you know they obviously it's different for different people and it's it's probably not that they're seeing nobody but for some of them it, it is almost that stark well there many of them they have to find another uh, workplace or, or something so for for some people it's the golf club or the bowls club or and that's how they put rhythm in their week and that's where they find uh, male and female company but I, I would say to people that we weren't created to do nothing and sit around with our thoughts and so this intentionality uh, which is often talked about in terms of divide your week up into 21 morning, evening, morning, day, afternoon, evening type arrangement. Make sure that for several of those, you're doing nothing, you know, reading a paper, reading a book, watching the telly, going out for a walk. But think about how you want to utilise those other slots and kind of don't set yourself a rule, but set yourself a kind of, would it be good if, you know, one of the things about volunteering you don't do it because you're lonely or because you pity people. You do it so that you're engaged in a, a rhythm of what I would call this vocational contribution that we talked about earlier. Sometimes it's not volunteering to help run a charity shop. It's volunteering to work in an allotment project or whatever it, it, it might be. Um, uh, and people can find uh, a helpful outlet there that, plays into their rhythm of life um, and uh, from a Christian point of view I would encourage people to think well my intense working life is over but what is my vocational contribution 
sector, culture, society, family, home, church, over this next uh, little while. Um, uh, and the human connection in that vocational work is vitally important to people's physical, emotional, and mental health. And uh, I would encourage people to go for that. Another thing that you mentioned was retraining. And uh, I think that speaks to something slightly different in as much as that we can reach a stage of our life where a door shuts. I had a friend and he'd been deeply engaged in a particular area of uh, uh, retail for 25 years. And um, he was made redundant. And for a while, he was just sort of sitting there scratching his head. Then he took up some new stuff. And then he sent a bottle of champagne to his boss, former boss, saying, I know it can't have been easy for you. It wasn't easy for me. But actually, I'm having the time of my life in the new thing. And so it comes back to this thing about your identity is not in your work and working for a particular group of people, although it can be hard sometimes to leave those things. It's in your vocational uh, path. Um, and if a particular door shuts, the, you will usually go through a process of grieving and mourning, and then your head will come up and you'll say, well, is there something that I've always wanted to do? Is there another place that I can contribute? Um, I, I know uh, somebody who eventually uh, left a it been extremely influential in Christian bookselling um, and then did a project that failed uh, and then started a massive uh, uh, project in uh, Africa to establish community foundations in a particular village, which has taken it from barely food sufficient to food sufficient hospital uh, agricultural practices that are meaning that they are self-sustaining and, 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 and. And a man who'd had the success he had, you'd think, oh dear, that can't be, oh, it must be really stressful. That, that 20 or 30 years of his life ending, but the, the contribution uh, of the next 20 years of his life has been incredible. And he's had to train himself, you know, uh, the nuances of aid and development and all those things, you know. In lots of ways, much more enriching, if not financially, but sort of spiritually. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it requires a, uh, some humility as well, I think, you know, if you have to retrain, part of you thinking, what if I'm not good at it? You know, what if, you know, surely I, um, and, but actually the discipline of learning new things, and then you discover actually that you're excellent at something that you didn't think you could even grasp. Um, uh, I mean, it's a bit like footballers, you know, when you get to 35, you're either going to set yourself up in business with all the money that you've earned, um, or a lot of them say, well, I've got a skill here. Why don't I retrain? They do their UEFA badges. And, and so they're still contributing to the same type of workplace, but from a different angle. Um, and they're still involved in the hurly-burly of it all. It used to um, be that um, the higher, well, all of, I think some of the lower running ones would still get it at this point, but they'd get their pension, start getting their pension at 35. Yeah. And that's changed to 55. Because yeah. they, they were sort of, um, well, just, just, you know, 
they needed to, they needed to have another job basically and yeah. the, the reliance of getting the pension at such a young yeah. age was, was yeah yeah, yeah they could yeah. get a bit lost yeah plenty to plenty of discretionary income but nothing to occupy their mind yeah so retirement intentional vocational but not quite at the same intensity retraining a little bit of humility uh, maybe i can learn something new uh, not easy there's always going to be grieving and mourning in the middle of these processes and it's no good just saying let's have a positive mental attitude and we can climb out of this it, it's positive mental attitude and uh, not pretending that actually there isn't some sorrow in it all um, and that, that it's all right to acknowledge both of those things uh, in the midst of it all. Um, and with, there was four, what were the four hours again? Restoration? So redundancy, retraining, retiring and renewal. Right, the redundancy thing. I, I was made redundant in 2008 and- uh, day, day before my birthday. Yeah, there you go. Um, and the blow was softened considerably by the fact that I didn't really have to worry about money for three to four, five, six months. But then you think, you know, I'm just past myself by date here. What am I actually going to do? And so redundancy can be one of the hardest knocks. Um, but many of the principles that we've applied to the the previous uh, scenarios still count. That redundancy will often lead to retraining. Uh, redundancy may precipitate early retirement because you can, but if you're going to early retire, you need to be intentional on in your use of time uh, and your contribution. Uh, but for some, it's a source of great sorrow. I've never quite earned the same amount of money since I made was made redundant. Um, the, the market moves on. And so you have to come to terms with that um, and be honest in your conversations with yourself. You know, what expectations might I have uh, that might need to be lowered in terms of property, type of holiday, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, there's a room for pragmatism in the middle of redundancy. This is not my perfect job but I will do it for two or three years yeah, while yeah. I find my way back. And you might also think, well, actually, the job that I was made redundant from was not ideal. Like, it was, it was making me really stressed out or something. So yeah. uh, on some level, uh, obviously, it, it's all relative, but you might think, well, I'm, I'm going to be happy to earn five grand less if I've got 20% less stress or something. Yeah. That's one of the other things about the impact of pandemic on the workplace. Um, some people miss the social aspect of being in the workplace. Other people are finding uh, the reduction in travel time um, and having two to three extra hours a day around the family, but being almost as productive four days a week and then traveling to the central office the other day a week. Um, uh, and uh, they're finding that very helpful. And some, uh, if I was a property, uh, commercial property developer, 
around certain parts of London like Croydon, I would be slightly beside myself because if people aren't going to have 15 floor offices anymore because the vast majority of the workplace will work from home and then they'll come to a central hub for a weekly meeting, you know, but what will that do to people's quality of life? If you think to yourself, well, I can do that job in London, so I just need to make sure I can get there in two hours by train one day a week, so I'm going to live in the Cotswolds or I'm going to live in a smaller city Mm. or, you know, um, so some of these things are a bit uncallable, but they're predictable, if you see what I mean. You say, well, that might happen. Um, but that plays back into what your aspirations in life are. I need this job because otherwise I won't be able to earn the money to buy the whatever. But place where I live, it's really hard to buy those kind of places anyway. So I'm going to have to commute. But the commute means I hardly ever see the kids. Some of this distance working with weekly check-ins could lead to much greater personal work-life balance um, and enrich the family. And it could be a real positive thing. Um, The the mundaneness of the family, taking the kids to the park, all of these kind of things, they're they're quite profound in the child's life and the adult's life. Um, And when they get pushed out, the child might live in an affluent household but not be emotionally affluent because his parents are so distracted or her parents. So all of this kind of workplace stuff, it plays it, it yeah. our understanding of the whole of life. You know, I think the popular term today is intersectional. Um, but intersectional is much more than issues to do with feminism. It's intersectionality is the story of how our values fit in and influence negatively or positively every sphere of our culture and our society um, and, and the environment around which we around which we live. Um, parts of London are uh, changing, not because uh, the poor are moving out and the rich are moving in, but because, although there's elements of that, uh, but because people are taking their own immediate area much more seriously, they want to protect the places where they live as places of beauty and, you know, they want to protect their parks. They want to make sure there are leisure facilities, all of those kind of things. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, before you uh, upset any more second wave feminists with your <laughs> intersectionality, um, and also because... Uh, we're just going to do a, a shorter um, one this this week, um, in any case, um, uh, for various reasons. Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to maybe record one next Monday afternoon or something. Um, I'm uh, away from Tuesday to Sunday this week, but hopefully, we'll put put one out next Monday. Um, so, um, but before we close, should we um, close with the Lord's Prayer? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Lead us through the time of trial and temptation. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Amen. And deliver us from evil as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, well, that was the time of trial. Oh, uh, right. Okay. That's the way it's interpreted in, in some interpretations. Yeah. I but, thought that was, uh, yeah, not into temptation. Yeah. Just going back to the intersectional thing, I'm not negating the second wave feminists' interpretation. I'm just saying you can take that template. I was having some fun with you there. Well, yes, I know, but, you know in case people thought I was some kind of misogynistic, uh, whatever. Uh, well, intersectionality is still feminism, so it's just yeah. a different, anyway, um, a bit off the point. For, here, those, so. for those of you that would love to wrestle with some of the complexities, uh, at some future point, we, Ben and I will have a discussion about uh, the, the male, female, men, women uh, uh, debate within the church and in the wider society. It might be really good. Uh, in, in all seriousness, if we get a, a woman on to do to, to yeah. talk that as well, um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, cool. Thank okay, um, right. So, uh, well, see you next week, hopefully, everyone. Thank you, everybody. I hope it's provoked you, stretched your thinking.